You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Hope Church Frankfurt. If you want more information about our church, text HOPE23 to 55498. We hope you enjoy this week's message. When you look at Scripture, it's interesting. From the very first pages of Scripture, I mean, you open up the very first chapters of the Bible, and you have a situation where a husband and wife are in a pretty dire situation. We see Adam and Eve. And the difficulty of obeying God, and when he said, do not eat, partake of the fruit of the tree. And we see right away there is a division within the first family. Just a few chapters later, we see that not only Adam and Eve had a a, a schism in their relationship as husband and wife, but we see their children, Adam, or uh, Cain and Abel. And what a story that is, where the older Cain literally out of jealousy for his younger brother, Abel, takes his younger brother's life. Pretty dramatic. I mean, these are the opening pages, the opening scene of this we call the Holy Scripture. A few pages later, you read of Abraham, Abram, the father of faith and his wife, Sarah. And Abram was so concerned for his own well-being and that of his wife, he says to her, listen, we're going into this town They don't know who I am. They don't know who you are. But when we get in there, tell them you're my sister and not my wife. Okay. And that whole thing plays out. He doesn't just do it once. He does it a second time. And you talk about an unhealthy relationship between a husband and wife, and yet they are our fathers of faith. There's a difficulty there. You talk about, of course, David, a man after God's own heart. Who would want to have David's family? Not I. Not I. He had several wives and many concubines. He had many children. And the stories in the scripture tells us of one half-brother desires his half-sister and he rapes her of David's children. And the brother, the half-brother, wants to avenge his sister who was raped by the half-brother. He looks for an opportunity to kill him, and he does. He kills his half-brother. Talk about a really kind of twisted story here. And yet, and yet, these are the... Characters we have as examples for us. You say, well, certainly, Jimmy, gets better in the New Testament. Well, maybe, maybe not. We're going to read this morning of 12 gentlemen, the disciples, who follow Jesus. And you figure if anybody can get this thing right, it would be these 12 guys. And yet, we're going to read this morning how even in the relationship they had with one another, they didn't always see eye to eye with one another. And so this morning, I want us to look at this whole idea of how to maintain a healthy relationship. I remember I reflected back in preparation for this. I reflected back to almost, oh golly, at least 30 years ago. I was not a young student, but I was a student at a seminary in Ashland, Ohio. Ashland, Ohio. It's Ashland Theological Seminary. It's still there. It's a wonderful institution. And I had a, a teacher for several classes over there. His name is, and he's still alive, is Dr. Benjamin Witherington III. That's quite a name, isn't it? Dr. Benjamin Witherington III. He's still a professor at Ashbury Seminary in Kentucky. In fact, I looked up his bio this week just to double check. But I'll never forget, he used to say something in class quite often, quite frequently, in talking about the human condition and how we are flawed. I mean, really, the human condition is we're not as maybe upright as we need to be and how we relate to one another. But he used to say this in class. He would say, only God, maybe he didn't say it that way, but I remember it that way, only God 
can ride straight with a crooked stick. Meaning that you and I are the crooked sticks. And somehow in this life, even though we are crooked sticks, God is somehow able to ride straight. That he's able to take your life into my life with the, with the deficiencies of character and the, you know, the, whatever it is, the flaws that we have or personality, whatever. And only God is able to take your life into my life and still ride straight, still bring something good out of our lives. To him be the glory. Healthy relationships. And so I want to look today, and maybe we'll have time to look at all three accounts, but we're going to start with one and see how far we get. Number one, a healthy relationship guards against dominance. And let's read in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 24. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20, uh, 20 to 24, it reads, then, a mother, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked the favor of him. That was, she, kneel, she knelt down before Jesus. So get the picture. Jesus is there. Uh, John, uh, James and John's mother comes and she approaches Jesus. And when she approaches Jesus, she kneels down in front of him. And, and Jesus asked her, what is it you want? And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at, left, at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my father. Verse 24. And when the, turn, when the ten heard about this, that is the other ten disciples, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we got the picture here. The mother of James and John, who, by the way, we know in Scripture, Jesus referred to them as the sons of thunder. Remember that somewhere along the way? He says, James and John, oh yeah, you're sons of thunder. I wonder what their father was like. That they would, Jesus would give them the name, and Jesus wasn't being mean. He was just saying, you two are sons of thunder. There must have been something about the, 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 you know, their father that was, or about their character that really spoke of some strength, some power. I wonder if the mother, it should have been the sons of thunder and lightning, the fact that she's coming and saying, hey, what about my two sons? Would you give them a place of honor and authority in your kingdom? By the way, think about this. They are still holding out to the fact that Jesus, is, uh, Jesus has a kingdom, and he's going to establish his kingdom. Now, the problem is, the problem is with the disciples, they're always look, looking at a kingdom in a different light than we, the way Jesus was looking at the kingdom. They were looking at a kingdom in which they were going to overthrow the military power at the time being Rome. And Jesus was going to establish that. And Jesus had to continue to teach them, that's not, the, that's not the kingdom I'm establishing. It's not a military kingdom. It's not a civil kingdom. It's a civic kingdom. You have to understand, my kingdom is much broader than that. But the mother comes before Jesus, kneels before them, and says, I wish that my two sons would have a place of authority and honor in your kingdom. And as is human nature, as is human nature, I mean, I can see myself as being one of the disciples. This idea, they were indignant. It was, they became 
verbally and vocally upset with what James and John and his, their mother just did. I mean, the ten hear about this and say, what's with these two guys? Who are, can you imagine just being a part of that discussion? They were upset. They were ticked off. How dare these two guys look for a favor with Jesus? We've been working alongside them all along. I wonder how many of you in your workplace have felt this a time or two. How dare they go to the boss and ask for a promotion? I've been here a lot longer than they have. Who are they to get a promotion over me? Don't they know the sacrifice I've done? Or maybe in the family, family relationship. Well, how, how dare they approach mom or dad for that? How dare they go to grandma or grandpa for that? Don't they know that I'm always there for grandma? I've always been there for mom or dad or whoever the story is. You can kind of put yourself in that situation, can't you? This idea of you become, it's not just a casual feelings. It's, it's, it's a rising up of the anger within us. And we've, we, perhaps we've all been there. And if you haven't, you may be faced with this sometime in your life where you kind of feel, well, that's not right. I can tell you as one of six children, were there times growing up where I thought, well, that's not fair what they did for my brother. He's not nearly as nice to mom or dad as I've been. Why are they doing that for him? Or my sister, two of her children are here with us this morning. My two, my niece and nephew are here this morning. Why would they do that for Mary, my sister? Why don't they do that for me? Well, of course, she's the favorite. She's the only girl, et cetera, et cetera. Right? We've all been there. Those feelings that come, that rise up within us. But a healthy relationship guards against dominance. And what Jesus is teaching his disciples here is just, he's saying to them, look, you need to be careful that my kingdom isn't as you perceive it to be. And in fact, my kingdom is established by the one who is willing to serve with the greatest heart, with the greatest compassion. Not the one who lords it over. He says, that's the way the Gentiles live life. They lord it over one another. But in my kingdom, it shall not so be. Jesus is reminding us that in order to have healthy relationships, it's important that we don't have this Attitude of dominance. Somehow I need to get the upper edge or the upper hand on this one or that one. And that's part of the human experience. And again, if you've not experienced it yet in your life, there will come a time where it will be a temptation to look to not to be dominated or to, be, uh, or to dominate the others. It's interesting that Jesus, he didn't rebuke the mother and the two sons what did he do? He called all of them together. <laughs> and he starts rebuking the ten. He's not rebuking the sons because they want authority in his kingdom. Now, they don't understand fully the kingdom he's establishing. But he's saying for the ten, because they're so upset, he says, look, don't, don't get upset about this, gentlemen. That's not what this is all about. Relationship in my kingdom is not about dominance. It's about submission. It's about service. And that is a real challenge for many of us. Whether it's in marriage or with siblings or with a friend who maybe is a little bit dominant or puts a little peer pressure on you or me. Maybe it's a work relationship. This idea of dominance in a relationship is very important. And it's important that we understand how to set a boundary in those things. And that's what we, we talked about last week, having boundaries in our relationships with our friends. 
It's hard sometimes to set relationship boundaries. At work, it's hard to have relationship boundaries. My guess is that one of the most challenging part of your jobs is the relationships that you have within that job. It's one of the most challenging part of your jobs. It's not the job itself. It's dealing with the people around you. And Jesus understands that. For he said to them, not so with you. So a healthy relationship guards against dominance. Number two, a healthy relationship knows how to set priorities. A healthy relationship knows how to set priorities. I'm not going to read it this morning, but it's in Luke chapter 22. You know the story, and I referenced it, I think, in our first small group. <clears throat> Jesus is at the, they're at the Last Supper. And he has the cup, and he, he, he blesses the bread, he gives the bread. He blesses the cup, he says, this is the, the cup of my covenant of blood. And he gives the, and then, and then what happens is, is there becomes a, a dispute among, among the disciples. Again, this whole idea of who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So picture with me, will you, on perhaps the most important night of, of world history, Jesus is going to be betrayed and he's going to go to his death, a death on a cross, provide reconciliation for humanity for the ages. And he's got his disciples there with him. And on this most important night of all nights, the beauty of the cup, the beauty of the bread, and you and I, sometimes we gather in our own pious way, yes, the cup and the bread, and thank you, God. And... But I'm always amazed at what happened on this night. The disciples started fighting. <laughs> the night when he needed them the most. To help him, to encourage him. He's going out to the garden in just a few hours. He's going to sweat as great drops of blood. He's going to say in just a few hours, Lord, into God, into the Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And those who were closest to him are arguing. Strange picture, isn't it? And yet, and yet I can see a part of humanity still doing that. I can see us as believers in Jesus still squabbling and quarreling over whose opinion gets to be heard. And Jesus says to him, this is not my kingdom. This is not what my kingdom is all about. He calls us to be good stewards in this moment in time, and, and they were not good stewards in this moment in time. And sometimes we think about life as a whole, but I want you to think this morning as, as a moment in time, that, that we are stewards for this moment in time. When you leave here and you're relating to your coworkers or your family members, I want you to think of being, about being a steward in that moment in time. As a husband and wife, I want you to think about being a steward in that moment in time when you disagree or you feel as though um, uh, something is being usurped from you. That God is calling you and me to be a, a steward in the moment in time, to follow him. And that's not always easy. Has human nature changed much through the ages? Maybe. Maybe not. But I tell you, there's a lot of discussion these days about who is the GOAT. You know who the GOAT is, don't you? Stands for the greatest of all time. 
You know, who's the greatest football player of all time? Oh, it's Tom Brady. We all know that. Who's the greatest hockey player? Well, it's Wayne Gretzky. We know that. Who's the greatest mind of all time? Well, it's, you know, whoever the... Who's the greatest scientist? Or who's the greatest actor or actress of all time? We spend a lot of time. Who is the goat these days? <laughs> and Jesus said, that's not my kingdom. That's somebody else's kingdom, but that's not the way my kingdom works. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. Ooh, that's a tough one to follow, Lord. And so Jesus says, I want you to set healthy priorities. And my priority is not to see how great you can become. You can build your kingdom. Healthy relationships knows, know how to set healthy boundaries. Sometimes we look to the latest, the latest Vogue magazine, or what does TMZ, or what's the latest Twitter X being sent out, and we say, oh, that's a priority. Friends, there is a set of timeless priorities that have survived the test of time. Honesty, integrity, good work ethic, treating people with kindness, study, practice, sacrifice, principle over pleasure, principle over pleasure, sowing good seeds. These are the things that survive the test of time from generation to generation. These disciples, they were still trying to figure out how to set healthy boundaries, healthy priorities. And Jesus confronted them on it. Not in a mean way, but he confronted them on it. And number three, we'll finish with this one. Not only does a healthy relationship guard against the, uh, having a dominance in the relationship, and not only does a healthy relationship know how to set priorities, but a healthy relationship allows for differing opinions different convictions. A healthy relationship will allow for differing opinions. If you have to, if you have to win every argument that you're in, you're going to have an awful lonely life. You're going to have an awfully disappointed life. You can win every argument you want to, but when you look around, you may be standing there alone. And there's a story in the book of Acts where it says that Paul, the apostle Paul, and Barnabas went out on their first missionary trip. And it says that they took this young man, John Mark, with them. And John Mark was, who knows how young he was, it seems uh, there was reference that he was related to Barnabas. I didn't have time to develop this morning. But they were out on this missionary trip, and there was, it was a great success. They were encouraging these, the young church. First century church. These churches are just getting established in these various cities, towns, you know, rural areas. And Paul and Barnabas go out just to see how the church is doing, how they're doing. And in the midst of their traveling about the different churches, John Mark, young John, young John Mark, it says in Acts that he left Paul and Barnabas, and he went back to Jerusalem. It doesn't tell us why he left. He just, he left. And so Paul and Barnabas, they finished the missionary trip. They went back to where they were sent out of the town, celebrating the great victories. And it said that Paul came to or approached Barnabas later on. doesn't say how long. He said, listen, let's go see the churches. We, we took that first missionary trip. Let's go take a second one. And let's go see how they're doing. And Barnabas says, that's great. I want to take John Mark with us. 
John Mark who left them in Perga, Scripture says. And Paul said, we're not taking John Mark. Are you kidding? He abandoned us the first missionary trip. I'm not going to take him again because he's going to do it again. And it says the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas was so sharp that Barnabas took John Mark and went in one direction and Paul took a gentleman by the name of Silas and he went in a different direction. Now, the narrative is we follow Paul and Silas for the most part. We don't hear much more about Barnabas and Mark and their missionary endeavor on that trip that they took. But here's the interesting thing. We don't lose John Mark in the scripture, in the story, in the biblical narrative. Later on, as Paul's writing his letters to the church, he references Mark, John Mark, on more than one occasion. And in fact, it's at the end of, at the end of Paul's life, when he's in Rome, he's in a prison in Rome, and he's writing to Timothy, young Timothy, it's in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this is what he says to Timothy. Timothy, please come to me. I'm in prison. I'm alone. I've been somewhat, I'm really, not many people here with me. And he says, Timothy, be sure to bring Mark with you. Because he's a great support to me in ministry. The same John Mark who Paul said years earlier, there's no way we're taking John Mark. He's going to do the same thing he did before. He doesn't have the constitution when things get tough or when whatever. The Bible never tells us who was right and who was wrong in the argument between Paul and uh, Barnabas. Two great men of faith. Two great men of faith. It doesn't say Paul was right and Barnabas or, or, or Barnabas was right, but it does tell us kind of the end of the story. It fills in the story for us. Paul comes to understand, whether it's because of the development within John Mark, maturity, dependability, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we do have a situation where Barnabas saw great value in John Mark and the ability for him to really mature and to develop and to be an instrument that God can use. And Paul didn't initially see that. Two strong men with two strong opinions. You ever been in a situation where you have two strong men with two strong opinions on how something should be done? And you women are saying, yes, I have, and it's so embarrassing. Have you ever been in a situation where you have two strong women with two strong opinions? And all the men said, yeah, I've seen that. Doesn't usually end very well. So it's easy for us to point fingers, right? But the, the theme or the story for us here and the lesson for us here is that you can have a difference in opinion with somebody. We don't have to see eye to eye on everything. We don't have to say eye to eye on very little, uh, very few things. And yet we can still get along with one another. We live in a cancel culture that if you don't agree with me, that you're going to cancel me out of your life. And if I don't agree with you, I'm going to cancel you out of my life. And how do we do that? Well, certainly on Facebook, they're no longer my friend. Or whatever, right? 
You see, it takes a little something extra for us to be able to disagree with one another, not see things eye to eye, and yet still be able to get along. If this were the case, Kim and I wouldn't still be married after 36 years of marriage because we have not always seen eye to eye every day of our marriage. I know I've always been wrong, and I'm understanding that. No, you have to understand that. But at the end of the day, she's still my wife. We're still in relationship. We may not see eye to eye. We may not agree upon everything. But at the end of the day, we're in covenant relationship with one another. As a church, we can say, ah, ah, it's not worth it. Or we can say, you know what? We're in relationship with one another. We have a responsibility to one another. I don't know where you're at with relationships, and I need to get out of here because I'm going to be going down the tollway quicker than I want to be going. But I don't want to lose this moment and what it may mean for you, what it may mean for me. Where you're at relationship-wise or how you've been hurt or how maybe you've hurt somebody. Let us not leave this moment without saying, God, okay, God, into your hands. Let us pray. Jeff, why don't you come on? Gracious God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this moment. For we truly are stewards of not just our lives, but we're stewards for this moment. So help us. Help us to walk day by day with you. Help us to be expression of your life and of your love to all that we meet. And now, God, may you take these words, your holy word. And Lord, my words, as limited as they may be, and may you somehow, Lord, not just educate and inform, but somehow transform. All for your glory and for our good. For this we pray through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And if you did, make sure to share it and subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new messages. Thanks for listening. God bless.